Hello and welcome to the Atalan Rising podcast. We're your hosts, Adam and Lynn. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing Guardians of the Galaxy issue 8, Champions issue 2, Magnificent Miss Marvel issue 16, and We Only Find Them When They're Dead issue 3. It's still a ridiculous title to have to say week in, week out. <laughs> you can't even give it a good acronym. <laughs> Waft would you? Yeah, that's what we, we'd be uh, saying. That would be equally as hard to say. Wasps would do. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, how are you? How are you doing, Lynn? Oh, you know, just getting ready for the next lockdown. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm the same. Uh, UK, well, England has been in lockdown for the last week and a bit, um, which has been great because nothing has changed. It's like a <laughs> lockdown, but not lockdown. So basically, all res- uh, all um, recreational stuff like pubs and restaurants and uh, non-essential shops have closed, which you know I never used anyway. So <laughs> just just line <laughs> the pockets of Jeff Bezos. So, yeah. but how how are you preparing, Lynn? Well, you know we got a chest freezer now, which is a really boring grown-up thing to be excited about. <laughs> You could fit an awful lot of stuff in there, though. I, I can fit it. It's it's like a medium human size chest freezer, so we're we're, we're ready. <laughs> That's an appropriate description. <laughs> that doesn't sound ominous. <laughs> yeah, and you know, tar- Target was all out of paper towels today, so right now I'm getting texts from the grocery delivery person <laughs> who's giving me the play by play of her paper towel hunt. Nice. Yeah, I, I I can't imagine running out of bounty in a time like this. I mean, it's... Uh... Yeah, they are, they are all gone. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I find the idea of people like now panic buying just particularly baffling. It's just things aren't going to run out, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just, it was a couple of weeks ago when lockdown got announced here, it was just like the shops were just full of people. I mean, they still are on a, on a, on a weekday, a weekend even. When I go in there on a Saturday, when I went in there yesterday, it was just, just rammed, you know. And usually mm-hmm. I'll go with my mum who's visually impaired and it's just like, it's a totally different you know, experience <laughs> trying to get around a, a packed shop at this point in time. <sighs> at least you've got, at least you've got the help. That's the, <laughs> <laughs> I am the help in this situation. <laughs> Hey, grocery delivery is awesome. <laughs> uh, absolutely, yeah, it absolutely is. I think um, again, it's one of those issues that we've got that, like, all the all the big supermarkets here, all their delivery slots slots are just instantly taken. Uh, new one comes up, it's like it's gone. Uh, otherwise, I'd appreciate not being the hired help. But <laughs> <laughs> hey, tip your grocery people generously. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, in the UK, if you're not used to that, then you know, make sure that you you offer them a drink or whatever and that kind of stuff because they're going to be hella busy. Fingers crossed that it's going to be we, we're kind of into the home run now because there's been announcements of vaccines and that kind of stuff. So next six months will be extremely, uh, ex- hopefully, extremely good. But um, that's me being the forever the optimist, which we will also talk about in a second because C2E2 has been rescheduled for 2021, right? That's right, December. Just in time to do all your Christmas shopping. Yep. Yeah. I think it's a maybe a little optimistic, but here's to hoping. Yeah, and I'm 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 gonna be forever the optimist on this one. It's like it's like a tiny glimmer of hope, and I am just clinging onto that for dear life now. Yeah, I've, I've already booked the time off of work, so <laughs> you know, <laughs> if it's on, I'm gonna make it again because this year was just a, a really, really good time and uh I am gonna be quite optimistic about it. I think next year is gonna be Hopefully, one where we start getting back to normal, but no, no, no guarantees on that one, I suppose. Yeah, it's a weird time yeah. to reschedule it for, though, because it, it is usually in March, around the March time frame, and they schedule it for December. So, how much are they going to skip it in twenty twenty two, or is it just going to be December forever? Who knows? Because you really can't have one and then have one three months later. Yeah, because I know 2021 was meant to be like at the end of March, right? Because they, they yeah. moved it basically up a month because uh, I don't know why why they moved it. I can't remember what the reason was. It was, was. Um, Emerald City Comic Con, I think. They were overlapping. Oh, that was it, yeah. Yeah. Because it was like uh, one weekend in Chicago, one weekend in, uh, was it, is that Seattle? Emerald City? I think it's in Seattle, yeah. 
Seattle, yeah. So, um, yeah, I imagine that's probably one one big thing because all the creators have got to go from one Comic-Con to the other Comic-Con in less than a week, and that's a lot of stuff to shift. So completely appreciate that one. But, uh, I mean, yeah, like I said, forever the optimist, put the time off. You know, I- I'll see what happens next March, April time as to when to buy the- book the flights, hopefully. But, um, you know, if not, 2022, here I come. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so what about, what about comics news? We Let's see, comics news. We still don't have a date for the Darkhold series. Oh. I've been waiting so long. No solicitations for it. And that's the one that's got Black Bullet on the cover, right? Got Black Bolt on the cover. Steve Orlando. Again, clinging, clinging to it. Because it's the only Inhumans content other than Miss Marvel that we've got. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a shame. I just want it. Oh, and speaking of other disappointments, we did get a date for WandaVision which is January 15th of 2021. So 2020 is the year without any MCU. And I'm not going to be a pessimist here, but no Marvel this year has just really bummed me out. I really miss the cinemas. I really miss new TV shows. I'm very sad at this point. It's just, it's a shame. Well, you should watch The Mandalorian. I should. I I have heard very good things about that, and I I keep meaning to sort of check it out. And I've got Disney Plus, and all I've used it for is to watch Jeff Goldblum's TV series, which (laughs) Which is is very good. But it's just, it's it's like six issues, (laughs) episodes even. Uh, So, twenty five quid a year for six episodes of a TV series, maybe not quite money worth it. Yeah, seriously though, The Mandalorian. You don't need to be a big Star Wars geek to understand what's going on. Although it does help because it's full of Easter eggs. But in order to understand the show, you don't even need to watch the movies. You need to watch the cartoons. So the ref- all the references are to the cartoons. Okay. Well, like Clone Wars and that kind of stuff. Clone Wars and Rebels. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I have to admit, I've, I have sat down and I have watched all of the Star Wars movies, but call me a philistine or whatever but it's it's never caught me and you know you guys on the podcast know that i am a big sci-fi nerd and not liking star wars is like a it feels to me just wrong because i should like it (laughs) but some reason i just don't i I don't know what it is it's very strange i think the tv shows are better than the prequels and the last trilogy that's, I mean, that's that's a fair enough comment, I think. So they're, a lot of people would probably agree with really you on that good. one. Yeah. I, I've seen a couple of episodes of um, the Clone Wars TV show a um, long time ago, back on like Cartoon Network. But mm-hmm. it's it's one of those series, again, I, I, I didn't get into it because it had that Star Wars name attached to it. And it was just kind of like, well, am I going to enjoy this? I, I, would, I didn't give it a go because I didn't think I was going to enjoy it. I think you, you will really enjoy Mandalorian. Yeah, I might I might chuck an episode on later and sort of watch it whilst I'm uh, whilst I'm playing Pokemon again. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get on to my Pokemon adventures, you got your Black Bolt and Lockjaw figure. I did. I finally got my Mezco Black Bolt and Lockjaw set. It only took two years. It was worth the wait though. It's a very good, very cute sculpt on Lockjaw. I don't know why it's so hard to get a cute lockjaw. Like there's a, there was a Marvel Legends lockjaw that came with a, a set, and he was goofy looking. And I, you know, I've got all the Inhumans, Randy Bowen busts, and the lockjaw is just horrifying. The lockjaw in this is just so cute, and he he lights up. His little eyes light up. Oh wow, wow, <laughs> that sounds really good. Are, are they still got like some of these in stock? Because I had I. I kind of vaguely remember you sending me a picture of this, like li- literally two years ago. Um, but if they've if they've still got in some in stock, I might I might have to have a look at this now. <laughs> it was a pre order, so you have to find it like at a if a comic shop got one. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. But I mean, I, I have to admit that the the Marvel's Le- the Marvel Legends figure that you pointed out in uh, in like the notes that we did before the episode i googled that and i was like huh okay <laughs> that's uh that's not great and um and, and lockjaw is one of the few comic book characters i actually genuinely want like a like a nice tattoo of and um mostly because you can get some really nice like the ms marvel version of 
uh, lockjaw is very very nice it's very good it's very cute mm-hmm. and that's the kind of thing that i'd want to get a tattoo of <laughs> no I, I i go to a went to a, a friend of mine who works at a tattoo studio and she's like oh yeah we can put our own spin on it and i'm like but i want something like that <laughs> <laughs> i want i like hugs yeah <laughs> but that's that's all you want from a dog right you just want hugs yeah. and you know nice nice calm calm dog uh, which God only knows why I got my dog because she's not calm at all, but <laughs> but yeah, I I'm looking forward to uh, to where that ends up in your house and and you sending pictures of it sort of in your <laughs> in your library or something. <laughs> I gotta but, uh, find room for it. That's my only problem right now. <laughs> I went to go put it with the rest of my Inhumans collection. I went, oh no, <laughs> there's no space. I need a new shelf. <laughs> <laughs> I need more shelves. <laughs> That's another trip to the furniture store, right? <laughs> uh, it, it's a uh, better finish the basement so there's room to put more shelves. This whole house is bookshelves. Oh, wow. Honestly, that sounds like the greatest house. I mean, that's that's my kind of house. <laughs> um, I, I, I keep meaning to put my bookshelf up. My mum has finally relented to like letting me put my comic books in um she's got a walk-in wardrobe so i'm Mm -hmm. kind of like well there's a little bit of space in there can i put my comic books in there and she was like (laughs) yeah that's fine (laughs) finally so you know other than that i'm gonna have to like try and move out at some point but (laughs) (laughs) yeah space is a space is a good commodity at the moment um other than that i haven't been doing anything other than play pokemon for the last few weeks (laughs) Just as a, just because we always talk about like Animal Crossing and Pokemon Short Sword and Shield, uh, I got the Isle of Armor and Crown Tundra. It's very good. I quite enjoy those. Um, I've now completed the game again, and uh, I, yeah, I, I, I think you'd, I think you'd enjoy it, Lynn. I still don't understand the entire concept of Pokemon. <laughs> I, I, I don't get it. It's, I don't. Your, your little monster I mean, dog fighting, and they go in the ball. What, what's in the ball? No one can answer I, that I, question I, for me. I, I I don't know. I have asked every young person that reports to me at work what's in the Pokeball. They don't know. <laughs> are, are they in suspended animation? Do they have a little room in there? What? <laughs> I, I I've seen. Do you remember at C two E two they had like a little stall that had like a, a load of Pokemon stuff, and they built like almost like a, a little terrarium like a Pokemon. Ter- yeah, terrarium, and I really wanted one, but just getting it back here was just going to be such a pain. But they were so good. But that's what I imagine is in a Pokeball. <laughs> well, a little terrarium? Okay. Yeah. I mean, that would be nice, right? That would be the best way to do it. <laughs> oh, by the way, I gave up on Animal Crossing. It was way too much emotional labor. <laughs> really? Wow. The little creatures, what? and they're always getting in fights with each other, and then I got to go make up for them. I was like, no, I was just, I'm done. <laughs> I got enough of that in real life. I haven't played that game in so long and I really regret it because like it's one of those games that's just purely based on nostalgia for me. I remember when I was like 10 or 11 years old getting Animal Crossing New Leaf and I just adored that game so much. But it's a game that I ended up usually I usually end up putting down for like long periods of time. <laughs> so you go back and it's just weeds everywhere and you're just like I can't I can't deal with this now. <laughs> Oh, speaking of games, the legendary Marvel deck building game now has a Realm of Kings expansion pack. It's got the Shi'ar Imperial Guard. It's got Vulcan, all of the royal family of the Inhumans, except for Triton, who gets no respect. I, why? Why? Why are they ignoring Triton? I mean, he had a huge part in in like the the starting of War uh, War and Realm of Kings, and yeah, that annoys me. That's 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 that that annoys me. Even lineage gets a card, but no Triton. Lineage, who wasn't even in War and Realm of Kings, he was he was introduced in Charles Soule's run. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's... lineage and Lash are in there, but no Triton card. Wow. That's the, that my, is just... uh, my my complaint. Yeah, it's completely valid as well. I mean, that's just that's just you know they're just bigoted. That's what they are. Not. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> but but legendary, please please add Triton to your. Uh, so you're set. But speaking of Charles Soule, though, just speaking of lineage and Lash. Now, uh, I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but Charles Soule and Ryan Brown decided to release their curse words in a mighty great omnibus. 
which when I get it, I'm sure is going to be too heavy for my shelves. But, um, you know, we'll see. But they're currently getting ready to ship. They're currently, I think they're making their way over to Chicago as we speak. Uh, I think Ryan Brown is a Chicago native and um, really looking forward to getting that. And if you want to, you know, back it in any way, they they still got all the options on back kit and um, you can still get a copy of the omnibus. Really looking forward to it. It's a really fun kind of just totally batshit insane series. <laughs> I don't know. Did you ever buy it, Lynn? I did not. I, I would. I would. I definitely recommend it because it's just stupid fun, and I think that's really what Ryan Brown is known for. Um, Charles Soule less so because he's you know he's done like Star Wars, he's done the Inhuman stuff, but this is kind of I feel like him really just letting loose, and uh, it's it's such a it's such a fun book. Um, and if you're a fan of Ryan Brown, he did stuff like God Hates Ad- Astronauts and. Um, I've forgotten many of the things he's actually done, um, but he's a really, really fun artist. And I met him at C2E2 and he was drawing this really like crazy X-Men based bit of artwork and it was so good. So yeah, go and back that if you can. Um, it's quite an expensive omnibus. Um, I think this one cost me like £120. So. Whoa. <laughs> Inclu- including shipping though, including shipping. And this is shipping from America. Oh, well then. Yeah, the shipping from America was like $70. I think I mentioned this in another episode. Oh, but... my God. Yeah, yeah, that's USPS uh, USPS costs. And, uh, Jeez. Uh, yeah, yeah. But when it gets here, I'll be happy. I'm just hoping that I don't have to pay any import duty on it. But you were basically shipping yourself some bricks, so. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> and and Dreadstar as well. Dreadstar's obviously, we, okay. we, uh, we spoke about the other episode, and we kind of said that that's... Uh, that's now all done and dusted, and I'm getting my uh, getting my Dreadstar bricks through as well. Happy days, really. Anyway, should we talk about some comics? We've kind of <laughs> we've rambled for a little <laughs> bit now. <laughs> Let's talk about some comics. Yeah, so I think first up we've got uh, Guardians of the Galaxy issue eight. This one's uh, dubbed Roll Call. It's uh, the script was done by Al Ewing. Artist was Marcio Takara. Colors were Federico Blee. Letter was Corey Petit. Cover artist was Raphael Abakirki. Designer was Anthony Gambino. Assistant editor was Lauren Amaro. And the editors were Darren Shan and Mark Basso. So this issue was very good indeed. And uh, after reading issue seven, which was a brilliant issue kind of in its own right, you see that Marvel Boy has potentially got himself into a bit of a sticky situation. Only for Rocket and his Guardians team to turn up and save the day. Um, in whatever way that might be. Rocket appears in another fantastic suit, turns into a noir-esque detective for this final part of the Guardians whodunit special. I love a good locked room mystery. This this was great, right? I mean, this was this was really, really fun. You know, and, and, and Rocket did, did a really good job of setting up this story. And it seems like they kind of run through a number of plot points that could come into play later down the line kind of like the Snark Wars, which, funnily enough, appeared, uh, last time I remember them appearing was in the Royals series, also by Al Ewing, where Gorgon was captured by the Zinriks. I think Al really likes the the Snarks. <laughs> and it's it's such a weird race to like, right? I mean, that's <laughs> it's such a niche thing to do. But we, we had a Snark War in, in Royals, and uh, we have another Snark War now, and it's just like, it's, it's I just... Just give me some more Inhumans, please. Just give me some more content. <laughs> but th- throughout the issue, it's determined that the gun that was used against Marvel Boy was uh, supplied by someone to try and ensure that the Alliance doesn't hold and that Scree Alliance fails, ultimately. Someone who would profit from that. As it turns out, uh, Lani Ko Akko from the Badoon Sisterhood is actually the profiteer. I mean, we're, we weren't seeing that coming, right? We absolutely weren't seeing that coming. <laughs> you know, ultimately, she's just after some quick cash and she wants to reignite the Cree Skrull uh, War so she can make some bare dollar. I like the explanation of how Rocket figured out who it was with the Badoon just don't show up when you invite <laughs> them places. So why are you here? <laughs> Yeah, and it turns out it was just a you know holographic projection. It was in yeah. fact the profiteer. Um, I, I did. I I quite like that. I quite like this story as a whole. Oh, and I, I do like Clerk's reaction to getting shot in the face. 
<laughs> I loved Rocket's <laughs> comment as well. It was like, thank God you're a straight shifter who doesn't keep his brain in the obvious place. Um, and I, I'm just sat there like, you know, Clert is a guy, so th- th- I know where his brain is. Um, it's Dude. just, it, yeah, I, I know, but it's true. Um, but it's like this, this, this entire issue was brilliant. I mean... <laughs> I, um, you know, to all the references to the snarks, to all the references to, you know, previous Empire books. I mean, this is basically another Empire Fallout book. Um, yeah. And, and the Chitari as well. It was hilarious all the way through. Um, <laughs> the Peacebringer committing that trope yeah. of only the death of the people can bring peace. It's just, it's one of those tropes that just totally gets overused everywhere. But I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and this was written so well and he's just like i apologize for the delay please wait quietly it's i, I love a, I love a good sentient bomb they're always so polite yeah and this this one actually reminds me of um one of the one of the doctor who episodes from peter capaldi's run um where they have like that you know your your death is you know your death is oncoming or something um <laughs> i can't remember what it was now it was one of the, one of capaldi's episodes i believe but uh uh, now I'm, I'm talking about Doctor Who, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I love this book. It was, it was just not only does it really do a good job of finishing what has been just a two-issue kind of whodunit story, but it's also done a really nice job uh, at setting up Null, who is a real cosmic threat now, and um, kind of everybody who doesn't know who Null is, he's uh, he's the kind of the big bad that Donny Cates has been teasing for the best part of two years now. I think it first mentioned in uh, in War of War of the Realms, that kind of thing. The Necro Sword was brought in way back in like Infinity Wars, and it, it's all kind of tying together. And I'm kind of really excited for that. And I saw the last page to this book, and I was like, "Yep, yeah, I'm I'm in this now. I'm in for this. I'm I'm going to go and pick up all of the most recent Venom books. I might might just supl- uh, subscribe to King in Black now." I know you're not a huge fan of of Donny Cates, Lynn, but uh... <laughs> well, no, I'm not a huge fan of Venom. Okay, that's that's fair. I mean, I, 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 yeah, I didn't care for him the first time it appeared <laughs> that's, back in what, yeah. the nineties. So was it the nineties? Was it the eighties? Yeah, a long I think, time I ago. That, yeah, Venom was like the nineties. He was like a part of the. He was he was meant to be a part of that whole um, you know re reinvention of the Marvel stuff you know where Cable and Domino and X Force and all those kind of guys came out of. I think he was a he was a person from that that run. I I I just I love the Null story. I love the Venom background and everything that Donny Case has done with Venom. But nineteen eighty four. Okay, so a little bit. Okay, it was, it was I was wrong then. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> uh yeah so i mean wow and he's and, and donny cates is basically changing an awful lot of venom's origin i think that's pretty cool uh, he's made it a lot more interesting yeah definitely and i think that's probably what's got me into it because it's much more sci-fi it's much more kind mm-hmm. of you know it's 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 a planet of the symbiotes and the planet of the symbiotes are actually holding their god kind of at the center and all that kind of stuff. i just I, I, it's very simply done, but it's it's so well done. I, I won't stop rambling about that. So, I think I'll cut and myself it, off there. <laughs> it, it makes me sad that the Inhumans aren't around because we, here we have a guy who's really loud, and a bunch of creatures that don't like loud noises. Yeah, yeah, and and funnily <laughs> enough, who did Donny Cates get rid of in Death of the Inhumans? I mean, I I, I think he did it on purpose. I think he did it on purpose as well. And that's what really annoys me because it's like you could have done so much with them and uh, he just kind of reduced it down to a bit of a a shock horror kind of thing, which I I understand if you're not into that and it's kind of, I appreciate that. And I I wasn't particularly happy with it, but there are people who were. So, you know, leave them to it, I suppose. After, so going back to the issue, after last issue's kind of everybody poops in space comments. Um, and the fact we now know everybody takes phone calls at inappropriate moments too. And it's it's one of those things I really like because it's just something so human that's now been done by this random alien in space. People are people. Exactly. <laughs> I think my overall gripe with this book is that not a huge 
deal of stuff happened it was a very straightforward story and that it was not like it was that kind of noir style detective thing going through who actually killed the snark and rooting out the guilty party but um it was completely enjoyable don't get me wrong but it was just a a very straightforward interlude kind of story the writing of this book it's al ewing need i say more (laughs) maybe we should just rename ourselves the al ewing fan club podcast (laughs) i'm cool with that yeah. <laughs> me too yeah that's, that's fine we'll just we'll just do that next next issue is going to be episode is going to be the al ewing fan club podcast issue episode 95 or whatever it is then <laughs> <laughs> we can do legacy numbering <laughs> this is episode one but 95 by the old numbering but i i love how rocket is written by al um, it kind of captures the essence of Rocket from the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. And I, I really like that because the movie was kind of my first exposure to the Guardians. And it was uh, nice to have that continuity. You can absolutely hear Bradley Cooper's voice reading all these lines. And I think some of the credit should also go to Corey because he bolds everything with just the right emphasis to get that sort of cadence into the lines. Yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, and that's what I love about this book, and that's what I love about Al and um, you know, and Corey, and, and Corey writing this book, and and it's just so well done. I love it. But uh, I also guess we can never trust a Chitari now. Did, did you trust him before? <laughs> I mean, good point. Uh, Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, like I said earlier, all the references to like royals, which happened almost four years ago which makes me feel really old and also it makes me miss the Royal Inhumans a lot. Makes you feel old. I just referenced a comic from 1984. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I didn't I didn't mention how old I was in 1984. I mean, <laughs> non-existent is the word. <laughs> anyway, the, the art on this book, I think, is, is my comments are very similar to how Saren described the the book last time uh marcio and federico an excellent team and the book is kind of super expressive and really well colored um and there's always like a certain amount of uh, like motion to it and this is one of those books where you just kind of imagine that story happening in your mind kind of un- unfolding like a movie scene and uh, that that takes a lot of talent and it's something i really really like and it's so well done in this book Really good issue. Uh, it's, it's set up a lot. Hopefully we get to see another snark war take place on panel, as well as whatever Al has managed to set up using this issue. It's also nice to have the prof- profiteer back, although how she manages to get across space quite so quickly is uh, is beyond me. Oh, she's an elder of the universe. Yeah. She's got technology that we can't possibly understand. <laughs> but True. I'm, I'm glad that Rocket agrees with me. She is the worst person in the universe. Yep. Yep. She she absolutely is. I mean, yeah. Using child slaves and now this, but I'm, I'm kind of thinking that the profiteer is now becoming more of a threat to Teddy, uh, maybe more than most due to her having quite kind of far reaching tendrils. I mean, we've seen her in the fantastic four and now we've seen her in guardians and she's going to be there. I think she's going to be around for a while. And I I like that. She's, not the big bad, but she's in the background pulling the strings and egging everybody on. Yeah, she's she's the one that's going to be like financing both sides. Yeah. Like I said before, the, the, the final page of this kind of made me laugh out loud. Um, and for anybody who has been kind of enjoying Donny Kate's stuff, this is kind of a nice little tie into that. And uh, I'm I'm kind of really looking forward to this. I'm hoping it's going to end nicely. The final page made me laugh out loud, and I've been really enjoying all of the Venom series stuff since like 2018 by Donny Cates. It's it's kind of nice to see him take charge of some cosmic level threat, and this this is gonna end well, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Lynn is not amused. <laughs> of course, I don't think this is the big war. Or threat that the Watcher's been alluding to. No, I, I don't. I this think this is, is just... This is going to uh, be before that. This is in the in between. Yeah, I, I think this is really just Donny Cates finally coming to a a more dramatic conclusion to his, his uh, null 
King in Black, yeah. Venom, all of those threads, which is nice. But I, I, I wonder if it's almost been delayed due to the fact that COVID happened. I wonder if this was meant to happen over the summer. I think it was actually because this was mentioned in, I, I believe this was mentioned at C2E2. Um, so maybe it has been delayed. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. you know, it, I reckon it would have been a nice kind of like summer blockbuster kind of thing from Donny Cates. But uh, so, so many things have been delayed and released out of order yeah i don't know what's what anymore i think we're just getting to the point where we're catching up yeah exactly i mean you've only just we've only just got like to the the last stages of x of swords now and uh, or ten of swords or whatever you want to call it but uh, ten of swords ten of swords that's uh which had some uh, interesting things happen in it but we won't talk about that now (laughs) but looking towards guardians of galaxy uh, issue nine looking at the cover for that i'm really excited for the return of star lord hopefully he does return and is not just like some weird you know cancerverse-esque story but uh, <laughs> is it just me or does the cover remind me of thanos sitting on his throne is, is do you reckon that's what ours yeah do you reckon that's yeah. what our is going for mm-hmm. yeah but yeah i mean recommendation for this book definitely recommend it four out of five locked jaws um I, i'm a little bit conflicted here i think issue seven was really fun and i absolutely loved it but this one, I kind of feel is a little bit more of a filler issue. And that's the only reason I marked it down. Um, of course, you know, I don't know if you agree with that, Lynn. Four out of five is, I guess, all right. But it's also worthwhile reading Empire's End along, alongside this one to kind of get, an, uh, get a bit more broader idea of what's going on. And Talos is in it, who is very different from the movie version because he can't shapeshift in the comics. Okay, I didn't know that about him actually. He he's a, a mutant, Skrull. He was born without the ability oh. to shapeshift, but he is like super strong. Yeah, yeah. To the point where he can you know take on the Hulk. <laughs> nice. <laughs> he's uh, Talos the Untamed. I have to. I'm just going to read, but read up on Talos, uh, Talos now or Talos or however you want to sort of say his name. I don't. I don't remember. Yeah, I... <laughs> But I do love him in the movies. He is one of my favorites. Yeah, I, I tell you what the uh, the reveal at the end of uh, um, Far From Home in uh, Spider Man <laughs> was just my favorite bit. Right, I mean, that's that was oh, that it was, was just hysterical. so well set up, and uh, just Nick Fury just like chilling out on the, on some beach somewhere. Oh wait, no, he's on a he's on a space station somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, but yeah, Empire's End was really good. I have to admit, um, not written by Cates or or anyone um, mm. particular. I think it was kind of an, it looked looked to be a new writer. I couldn't remember who wrote it, but um, it, it was done well. I enjoyed it. You know, I th- I think the reason why I don't care for Venom is because it's gross. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they're, they're just gross. Yeah. They're gross. I can... the same reason I don't like zombie comics. They're they're unsanitary. And then, and then you read, and well, not read. Then you watch Venom, the, the Tom Hardy Venom, and you just think, yeah, this is this is gross. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, should we move on to something slightly less gross and slightly more kind of uh, a bit more political, <laughs> if you want to call it that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's let's move on to Champions. Champions number two. The writer is Evel Ewing, art by Simone DeMeo and Bob Quinn. Color assist by Federico Blee, lettering by Clayton Cowles, cover by Tony Infante, a variant cover by Megan Hetrick, the graphic designer is Carlos Lau, assistant editor Martin Biro, and editor Alana Smith. This issue picks up in the re-education center where the teen heroes who were snatched by Cradle last issue are being held against their will. While in the streets of Chicago, things are getting heated between anti-Kamala's Law protesters and counter-protesters. Cradle and the police arrive and start fighting over who gets to beat up the kids. After an unsuccessful attempt to intervene, the champions head over to Riri Williams' house, who is none too pleased to see them. Like Tony Stark, she doesn't have a secret identity. She has to worry about what will happen to her mom if she breaks the law, and she's also the one who had to stop Viv, so there's a little resentment on her side. Almost immediately, Cradle show up at Riri's house to apprehend the champions, while somewhere the runaway traitor Vivision looks on, pleading with them not to fight. What can you say other than, boy, that escalated quickly. This went straight from, we need to protect the kids, to, woo, fascism! 
because frightened people are easy to manipulate. Protecting kids sounds like a great idea, but now the government is using that as an excuse to start kidnapping children and sending them to re-education centers. You gotta wonder if there's some big bad pulling the strings at the heart of all this. I mean, they're not even trying to hide the evilness. They're just straight up calling them re-education centers. The, the, the re-education centers are just on the nose, right? I mean, the entire thing about Cradle... And the entire thing about using Cradle to kind of quell the protest is also just, you know, pure evil. It just reminds me way too much of the many protests and everything that's happened in the last few years and this year. And, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's all too close to home, maybe. And wow, of all the kids to put in a re-education center, they had to go and pick Snowguard, who is an Inuk from Canada, and Bombshell, who... I'm pretty sure is Jewish. Okay, so you know we know that Bombshell's great grandmother, who she referred to, is obviously in a concentration camp during World War II. But if you want to lose even more faith in humanity, look up Canadian Indian residential school system. So started in Canada in 1894, and the last one closed in 1996, where Indigenous families were required to send their kids to boarding schools to better assimilate them into Canadian society which basically amounted to cultural genocide. Yeah, and that's that's pretty shocking because, um, you know, I, I kind of, the way I kind of gauge things and or the way I kind of gauge how backwards things are is um, things like this existed in my lifetime. And I kind of regard myself to be grown up in relatively modern times, or at least I hope so. But when things like this come up, it's just like, it's... Oh, oh boy. It's uh it's it's quite distressing really. And the Canadian government apologized in 2008. Yeah. 2008 feels like 2008. It started in 1894. Yeah, that's a 100 and quick maths here, 114 years too late. Yeah. You know, that's that's nuts. Just this entire thing is just it it's just crazy to read about. I mean, this was the first time I'd ever heard about it and, and wow. So moving on. <laughs> Eve is one of my favorite Marvel writers, and I think she's doing a fantastic job with the tension not only between the team members, but between the protesters on both sides. It's a real tough story to read right now. Yeah, and that's and that's what I mentioned before. Real. It just it just feels very reminiscent of recent times, and she's she's done a fantastic job of of capturing that, and actually being able to capture the kind of like the polarization that you've seen recently is 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 really good. I mean, that's that's a hell of a task to manage, and um, you know, I kind of what I'm hopeful for is the fact that you've got a lot of young adult readers that that read these books, and what I'd really like to to see is like these young young you know young adults kind of read it and question the world as it is and um you know I think uh, Miles Morales from the spider into the spider-verse movie put it right which is anybody can put on the mask right so that that's all I hope from these books and I was thinking too now that these kids are getting captured their secret identities are going right out the window because if your kid's missing you're not going to worry about blowing their cover Ms. Marvel's identity is not as secret as she thinks. Riri knows who she is. Whoops. What I've learned during quarantine is, you know, I can still recognize everyone in a mask. It's not a good disguise. At best, it works for a couple minutes. What masks are really good for, though, is protecting you and others from spreading COVID-19. Yeah. Uh, and going back to your point about Miss Marvel's identity not being as secret as she thinks, um, uh, that's one of the questions I have for Kamala's parents. I mean, surely during the last like five years or whatever comic time it's been that they've noticed <laughs> that Kamala is always out of the house when Ms. Marvel appears and she, you know, they look very similar. Um, but you know, with, with her parents prior to secret wars, Mrs. Khan did figure out that Kamala was Ms. Marvel and she was surprisingly cool about it. When everything reset after Secret Wars, it went back to her mom not knowing. Which is which is interesting because I mean that's um, you know I I I, re I do remember reading those panels actually as as awful as it sounds I still need to go back and actually read the initial um, you know hardback trade 
of the uh, initial G Willow Wilson run. <laughs> I still haven't read it yet. <laughs> I, I feel I feel awful, feel terrible for that. You haven't read it yet. No, I just I started reading it. Um, you know, specifically for this podcast, and I think I pushed, picked it up about issue eight of the second G Willow Wilson run. Um, yeah, I'm going to go back and read that now. It still bothers me that we gloss over all the ramifications of Secret Wars. I like that it's being brought up in the Miles Morales book. Because you know, we've, we've got people here who don't belong here. And everybody just decided <laughs> to move on. And uh, and and which hero is it that can, can see that everything's all wrong? I mean, that's the that's the question. It, that's, so, yeah, that's part of my, one of my... You want me to go completely <laughs> off topic here. Yeah, after Secret Wars came back, my buddy Karnak had a complete personality flip, and it had been explained in the comics before as, oh, you know, he you know, he just couldn't handle coming back from the dead. But honestly, I think it's the two <laughs> smushed together universes yeah, that I- made him nuts, because he can see that it's all poorly meshed together, Yeah, and there's nothing he can do about it, they got, and nobody they got else can see it. put everything back together. I mean, no wonder he's a little bit peeved. <laughs> Close enough, yeah. Because I think the only other time outside of Mile, the Miles books that it came up was in a Jessica Jones comic. Yeah, it came up in uh, I think it was the 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 second Bendis and um, yeah, second yeah. Bendis run, and uh, they kind of touched on it, um, but briefly because it was a guy that came from the one six one zero universe, uh, if I remember rightly. Yeah, he uh, ended up in a family that wasn't his family, and then he killed his wife it's, it was horrible yeah it was pretty grim <laughs> i need to reread that actually i'm gonna go and reread it after this i think <laughs> so we had some new name drops and cameos in this issue two mutants this time wither was name dropped he's a mutant with the ability to decay any organic matter he touches i don't know if they even know he's currently alive on krakoa because he was resurrected and then time slip is working for the bad guys Shame on you, time slip. A mutant is keeping kids in a re-education center. What would the Quiet Council say to that? I mean, wow. And since Cyclops and the Marauders are going to guest star in issue number four, I assume we're going to find out. Yeah, I, re- I reckon due to the cover, I'm hoping they'll be siding with the kids. And, uh, you know, two right two. But Krakoa is a, a, just a beacon of hope, right? I mean, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> They they do love their child soldiers, but uh, I seriously doubt they're going to be granting anyone asylum on Krakoa because yeah, not that entire situation now it's it's slowly filtering out to the rest of the Marvel universe. I'm still I'm still waiting for Krakoa to become more of a more of a global you know a, a global kind of uh, problem ish. Well, not a problem, but you know what I mean. Um, but you know, I, I th- maybe they'll maybe maybe they'll hide the kids in a, one of the satellite areas that aren't main Krakoa yeah that's a good point um but you know in 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 all of this I kind of feel sorry most for Ironheart um and and she's been one of my favorites and breakout characters of kind of like the last half a decade in comics I mean she was she was introduced in 20 2015 like when do you remember that big Iron Man uh the Invincible Mm -hmm. Iron Man re-release and it was like their their new flagship book and all that kind of stuff and um yeah she first appeared in that which is five years ago which is just uh, wow, five years. <laughs> um, but yeah, I loved how she gelled with Tony back in Invincible Iron Man. I really hope that after all of this, she remains kind of at the forefront of Marvel. And Eva Ewing just she she writes her brilliantly, and it's kind of like it really mm-hmm. feels like her baby. Um, yeah, yeah. Just want to point out though, it seems like Tony isn't sponsoring her either. Well, shame on Tony. Like, like that that was a thing though it's such a big thing because it because he, she did become like his his protege back mm-hmm. in invincible Iron man i mean that was a big point of it she was she was working with tony she was building on his technology and she hacked his technology and uh and yeah it just seems it baffles me why he wouldn't kind of take her take her under his wing yeah. again i wonder if everybody is just afraid of running a foul of cradle well yeah yeah, I mean it's the same thing. I mean, Saren said the same same thing last time, didn't she? With um, uh, with Wasp and uh, mm-hmm. and the fact that you know she could have had a whole bunch of people take her under her wing and 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 yeah, you know, agents of girl and all that kind of yeah. stuff. 
Nobody wants to be the uh, one who sponsors a kid and then the kid gets hurt. <laughs> yeah, because it's all on them then. Kind of like the comments from Marvel's X about, and Earth X, yeah. about Captain America's sidekicks not faring well. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and how it goes from wanting to be Captain America's friend mm-hmm. to wanting to be a sidekick due to the fact they always die. I mean, that was <laughs> that was pretty, pretty, pretty bleak. <laughs> good, though. I mean, it was a good read, but it was, it was bleak. And I would like to thank the team on this book for labeling the kids this time. <laughs> yeah. Especially when they're out of costume. That was nice. Thank you. <sighs> yeah, I, I've really appreciated this one. I haven't <laughs> been keeping up with like Champions or anything like that. This is the first Champions book I've ever read. So I really appreciated this. <laughs> they throw in some new warriors. It's just like, oh, who, who are you? <laughs> but th- with the art... The artists are doing a good job of making the kids look like kids of varying ages. Yeah, yeah. And there's great work on the facial expressions and the acting. I'm not a big fan of switching an artist halfway through an issue, but maybe Simone's a bit stretched right now doing both this and we only find them when they're dead. But Bob Quinn does a really good job of mimicking his style and the page layouts. Yeah, I mean, I have to admit, um, I'm I'm never a fan of um, multiple artists on a book, but this one um, actually, I, I think it worked. I, I I have to admit, I read through uh, your notes for this issue, and then I went back and, and kind of read through it, and I was like, oh yeah, there's there's a the split there. Yeah. So yeah, he, he must do a really good job because I didn't notice until it was pointed out to me. So overall, I think it was an excellent issue with some pretty heavy themes. I would highly recommend it. I gave this one four out of five lock jaws. Yeah, it's well deserved. It was, uh, it was, yeah, the heavy themes kind of hit home quite hard. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it, it was, it was very good. Yeah. So on to the next book is uh, another outlawed tie-in. Uh, it's Magnificent Miss Marvel issue sixteen, uh, written by Saladin Ahmed, artist is Minkyu Young, colors Ian Herring, letterer is Joe Caramagna, cover artist is Edward Petrovich. Uh, designer is Carlos Lau, assistant editor is Martin Biro, and editors are Alana Smith with Sana Amana Consulting. So we, we, we start this issue, like any good family drama, around the breakfast table uh, where Kamala's parents are having an argument about whether or not Miss Marvel is really a hero or not. Um, obviously them not knowing that Kamala is actually Miss Marvel. And she gets rightfully pissed. <laughs> So this book's quite fast-paced. Uh, the next scene you you find is them later that day meeting up with her pals. They discuss Zoe and how Kamala is upset that they're fighting and uh, Bruno takes off to see Mike. Slowly, Kamala's friendship group is slowly whittled down. She kind of starts feeling alone and, and, uh, and Nakia ends up going off as well to study elsewhere. Um, Kamala then goes to a cafe where Cradle appear, looking for Amulet. She runs outside and kind of soup, suits up like Superman would and bumps right into Amulet himself. Amulet is following a, a separate quest, where one where he's kind of looking for a ghoul. Uh, a ghoul is, uh, is is spelled G-H-U-L, and it's the Arabic spelling for ghoul. Um, uh, actually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they're different. <laughs> Fair enough. Europeans didn't always have ghouls in folklore. The Arabic ghoul came first. It's a subclass of jinn that's always evil, usually leading people astray in the desert. When the Arabian Nights were translated into French, Antoine Galland felt the need to embellish and turn the ghoul into corpse-eating monsters. Nice. That's uh, I didn't realize that. It's really good to know. Um... You know, I, I love I love like uh, Arabian folklore and that kind of stuff. It's um it's something that doesn't really get touched upon. I feel uh, in in kind of Western yeah. society. Um, so yeah, that's really good to know. And if you like that kind of stuff, read Saladin Ahmed's novel, Throne of the Crescent Moon. I keep meaning to pick that up. I'll have a look at that on Amazon um, and uh, and grab that as an early early Christmas present from myself to myself. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds good, yeah. Um, but yeah, back to the, back to the book. I think um, so. Yeah, Am- Amulet is on this separate quest uh, where he's looking for this ghoul, and um, it's something that his family have kind of been in charge of doing for centuries, searching for the thousand cursed things, um, which obviously can't be a quick job if there's a thousand of them. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, they end up finding the ghoul and uh, see this being powered by a mystical amulet. Uh, both of them together manage to take down this ghoul and remove the amulet from around her neck, revealing her to be a kind old lady. Um, the cradle team managed to catch up to both of them, track them down, and uh, they track them down to the place where they defeated the ghoul, only to receive a call telling them where they can find Miss Marvel. And that's where it's to be continued. Um, my kind of my overall impression of this book was that it's that it's okay and you know feel free to disagree you know shout at me all you want but i don't know whether it is just me but um this is book three of the outlaw tie-in for miss marvel and it kind of feels like the steam is running out slightly um not to say that it's bad it just feels more filler if anything it doesn't seem to add a huge amount to either kamala's story or the outlawed story which is is a bit of a shame in my opinion i think that might be due to the fact that Saladin's run is ending, so he really can't start up anything new because he's having to wrap everything up. Yeah, no, to that's get to very that true. last issue. Yeah, and I think his last issue is is scheduled to be in January 2021, isn't it? So he he really has only got what two issues after this one now. Next one's in December, and then he's got a final wrap up issue in in January. Yeah, um, which in itself is a shame, and I'm going to miss this book like like mad. I think it's well. It's definitely the first Ms. Marvel run that we've we've reviewed from start to finish. Anyway, but yeah, I mean, in in this book, I'm kind of I'm really watching the relationship between Ms. Marvel and Zoe closely because I think that Zoe's going to be that person on the end of the phone at the end of the issue. Could be Zoe. It could be Nakia too. That's a, that's a good question. I hadn't thought about that. See, there was some fabric in that picture. I'm going to have to go back and read this now. <laughs> I didn't notice that. That's um. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I mean that's uh, that's going to be a tough one to wrap it, up in two it, issues. Yeah, <laughs> that's like Nakia is meant to be her best friend. She like, is beyond anybody else in the world. That that would be a turn up for the books. Um, drama, drama. Yeah, yeah. The good old family drama, good old friendship drama. But um, yeah, like I said, this issue has two. Uh, this old arc even has two issues left. And after the cancellation announcement a few weeks back, I'm kind of wondering what they're going to do with the final Outlawed book and the final overall issue of Magnificent. Yeah, but we know we won't be without a Ms. Marvel series for long. Because the show is coming up. They're probably going to reboot it to coincide yeah. with the show. And I'm just wondering when we're finally going to get into her heritage. Because there's so many hints have been dropped about what makes her extra special which I'm assuming is that she has both Kree and inhuman DNA, which is a combination we haven't seen in the comics yet. And it's about time we got back to that storyline, especially with the renewed focus on cosmic Marvel. Yeah, that's a good point as well, because we were meant to have that um, Storm Ranger book as well, which obviously, yeah. you know, the Storm Ranger uh... was, was the suit because of her heritage. Um, and that was meant to be a big part of... Um, of the empire story and it's uh we, yep. we, we didn't get it that's a shame but in terms of the writing um I, I i know that saladin can write really great fiction i loved black bolt um he's done such a good overall kind of story with ms marvel but this one did feel like a bit of a miss for me but you know that's that's fine i mean I, i'm happy to take one dud out of 16 books i mean that's fine to me it, you know, he's also working on the Miles book and a Kickstarter that we have both backed. So he could be stretched a little thin at this point. Yeah, that's that's true. And um, I've heard his Miles book is very good. And I'm certainly it's, looking forward oh, to the Kickstarter. Great. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go and pick that one up actually in trade, I imagine. But I think there's you know, two and... trade paperbacks out right now. Okay, I will I will go and pick those up. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, you know, and some of my favorite things about Saladin's writing is that he can really write kind of human feelings and really portray them well on a page and and i feel like he's one of the few kind of writers at marvel that manages manages to do that really well and obviously backed up with the art as well it's just it's just so brilliantly done and they're excellent pairings and you know minky young does a fantastic job as does ian herring and it's it's i really hope <laughs> that they keep that uh, creative team on it or at least they keep the artists on this um they do such a good job we say it every the, single time 
at the bare minimum, we need Ian Herring on the next one. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, only it's, he it's can like color we, this. Yeah, it's it's like we said about like Moon Girl, and I think we've said it about this book itself. Is that you know you're picking up a Ms. Marvel book. You know you're picking up this book because it's written by this set of it's, it's drawn and, and colored by this set of artists you know and that's and that's what i love about it um but i i really hope that, that carries on through miss marvel has a really specific feel and I, I love that about it um but yeah i mean kind of a final assessment of this book i think um overall it's an okay book it's 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 not my favorite and it's certainly not one of the worst things i've ever read it's it's kind of a middle ground middle of the road sort of book um and it ties into the broader outlawed books as well so i'm kind of i kind of a bit you know middle of the road on this one i'd say it's not overly critical to the story but it's worthwhile grabbing grabbing for the bigger picture um so i'm only going to give this one three out of five lock jaws and um i apologize to all our listeners for that but uh yeah i i, I felt three out of five was fairly reasonable next up Continuing with the Al Ewing fan club. <laughs> we only find them when they're dead, number three. The writer is Al Ewing, art Simone Di Meo, color assist by Maria Sara Miati, lettering by And World Design, covers by Simone Di Meo. There's a Dead God variant cover by Tony Infante, another variant cover by Jeff DeCall. I did not see that there was a variant cover by Jeff uh, DeCall. I might have to look for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Logo designer is Scott Newman. Designer is Grace Park. Assistant editor, Gwen Waller. And editor, Eric Harburn. This issue, mysteries deepen as Officer Richter pursues the V-Han 2 into the vastness of space. The crew drops out of warp near a dead god to make their stand against Paula to find that it's only mostly dead. And Quartermaster Worth pays a terrible price for defending the ship. What can we say that we haven't already said about this book? It's just absolutely phenomenal. I like that it's a slower paced book. Al's taking his sweet time with all the reveals. Yeah, I mean, this this week kind of feels like um, a week of slowly paced books. Um, you know, in some cases, that's a really good thing. Some places, some places it was not such a good thing. But uh, this one was done very well. And uh, and that's that's really what matters, really. So last issue, we learned that George wasn't with his family when they died because he had food poisoning and had to stay behind. This issue, we learned that Paula was gravely injured when whatever happened to George's family happened and someone she cared about died. So is all this because she blames her death on George? Was the person she cared about his replacement? Because, wow, she can hold a grudge. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of assumed when I read this, I was like, maybe it was a close family member, but I, I was also kind of under the, imp- under the impression that it was insinuated that the person that gave George food poisoning was her. So it, I think it was insinuated that something was weird because he's the only one that got sick and they all ate from the same stall. Yeah. I, I don't know if Paula did it, but his, his parents, his uncle and his brother which would make a crew of four, all died. So is Paula like his sister-in-law or his brother's girlfriend? Which that could explain why he's so casual when he talks to her. Yeah, I mean that's that's a good point. I mean they they definitely know each other. We know we know that much, but it's like, come on, Al, give us a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and their and their death was an act of God. <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> uh, of course it was. Oh. And speaking of which, Al does ro- love reminding us that they're hauling around a bunch of god meat. <laughs> oh, those good old slabs of god meat, and the and the descriptions as well. <laughs> and it was just like when they went through how they don't like getting into ion engines, and it's like it's it's just enough gore to keep me going and not put me off, you know, like a nice steak. <laughs> and, and some plausible science there too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, meat in engines is never going to end well, is it? It's... <laughs> and that won't be completely frozen by the time it gets to her. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Because um, one of the things actually that, you know, it's slightly off topic, but one of the things that was commented on about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 
um, is actually that when they're in the void of space and Starlord takes off his his helmet, is that actually he would su- survive for about you know less than a minute, but he would survive for a little bit of time because he wouldn't freeze that quickly. Which is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, absolutely wow. terrifying. That's a terrifying way to go, but. Open to the void of space. It's just, oh, yeah, no. Oh. <laughs> oh, and poor, poor quartermaster Worth. I don't think she's going to make it. She's missing a lot of pieces. Yeah, yeah. If 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 she does wake up, she's going to have some problems. <laughs> it was it, that was a pretty intense thing to happen. Because yeah, Paula, Paula, and her crazy eyes are scary. The art in this is just amazing. You really get a feel. For the level of her obsession, she just radiates hatred. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Simone de Mayo is just fantastic. And there is something about the way that he does the art for Paula that it's like, it's almost like Lovecraft. You know, there's something <laughs> demonic in there. It's it's like, you know, the, the way that he draws it is just brilliant. And and I'm I'm totally here for it. And it turns out that the transparency of the God in the first book did have a significance. So well done, Adam, for catching that when we did our first review. (laughs) Gods get more transparent the longer they're here from wherever they come from. I think that's going to be the first and only thing I will ever pick up on in a comic book. I'm going to take that and run. (laughs) It's, it's, It's a cool touch, though. I mean, it's like, you know, where do they come from? What happens when they die? And, and why do they end up in our universe or, or the universe in which this, this is set? I'm assuming it's a it's a future, our universe sort of thing. But it's just, it's, it's they, just uh, it looks so pretty. It's so pretty. And they, they found one that wasn't quite dead yet. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> I don't know how well that's going to work out for them, but they found one. Yeah, just the end of the book as well. The way that it ended, I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to have to wait for issue four now, aren't I? I mean, hmm. <laughs> I don't want to wait for issue four, but I'm going to have to. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I read this digitally, but I realized you need to put it in the two-page landscape view to get the full effect, particularly the mirrored two-page spread with the flashback to injured Paula and then crazy paula chasing them down in her cockpit yeah i i thought that was that was really clever and, you know I, I read it digitally as well and um again when, when it's it's your notes that keep pointing out these things for me and i'm really grateful for that but it's like um <laughs> you know i ended up flicking between the two and i was like actually that's, that's really nicely and i cannot wait to see this in uh in paper copy yeah you know when i got to that page i'm like okay and then the next one i'm like oh this is you know let me make sure you know let's count the pages let's see if it goes to uh you know a spread and it did yeah and 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 uh and that's one of the good things about um kind of like boom studios and image as well is they don't have ads in them so (laughs) so you will get this as a double page as well i mean that's gonna be that's gonna be really good Things are really starting to move along in this series. I would highly recommend adding it to your poll. Yeah, this I, I totally agree with that. This one feels like it's kind of shifting along really nicely. It's like he's he's Al is giving us enough <laughs> every issue that it just keeps me wanting more. And um, you know, but equally if you if you can't add this one to your poll monthly, then you must absolutely go and buy the trade if you're interested. Um you know, after only what three issues, where we've got mm-hmm. some real defined characters and who are always really good to to read about, and um, you know, highly recommended on this one. I kind of hope that we're going to get an oversized version when it goes to print. Oh, that would be beautiful, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would be amazing. So I think I'm going to give this one four out of slabs of God Meat Projectile. <laughs> Which is the again? It's the grimmest uh, rating, <laughs> rating system we've we've ever right. used on this podcast. <laughs> oh dear, yeah this this um this book um was great, and I think this... I think um I, I'm just really excited for where it's going. I mean, it's it's one of the few books that actually outside of Marvel and and Image and and DC and that kind of stuff that I'm looking at, and I'm like this this one gets me on every level. <laughs> This one is my my kind of thing. Yeah, you know, black science is over. I think this one has, is my my new black science. 
Yeah. Which reminds me, I need to finish off Black Science, actually. <laughs> you do. You do. But, I mean, what's your what's your overall kind of thoughts on, on today's comic books? You know, is there any one that really specifically calls to you? <laughs> I think Guardians might have been my favourite just because it was hysterical. Yeah. Yeah, I think Guardians definitely was a high point for me. I think, for me, we only find them when their dad is going to win it every single week, and I'll wax lyrical about it if I carry on, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think the the only like I said earlier, the only kind of down point for me was was Ms. Marvel, and I feel awful for saying that, and I, I shouldn't because we are trying to be critical, but yeah, it just it just feels such a shame. It feels uh, it just feels a bit a bit sad to say that. So um, yeah, so next week, uh, the week of the eighteenth or the uh, day of the eighteenth, we have Fantastic Four issue twenty six. Uh, yeah, twenty six coming out, which um, looks to be fun, uh, from yeah, the, what I understand. Uh, the preview came out, I think, today, and no pun intended. It looks fantastic. <laughs> no, the pun the pun always has to be intended when you say fantastic about a Fantastic Four book. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best thing about it but yeah i think that's that's the only one that that we'll review from next week which is um you know slow week but uh i guess the only other thing to talk about is any any reading recommendations i just finished reading tom shioli's jack kirby biography jack kirby the epic life of the king of comics it was wonderful you'll probably end up being mad at stan lee when you're reading it but it, it was great, and it's so cute the way he draws Jack Kirby. Because all the other people in the book are drawn kind of in a realistic style. And then yeah. Jack looks like this little anime character with these big, soulful eyes. <laughs> Tom Tom Scioli was the one that did, um, like, the history, not the history, the um, the Fantastic Four. The Grand Design. That's it, yeah. Fantastic Four Grand Design, That was uh, and that was him, wasn't it? Yeah, which is also awesome and you can get it in a giant treasury edition <laughs> which i hope that they haven't used the same ink as they did on this uh, silver surfer uh, treasury edition nothing is quite was... as stinky as the silver <laughs> surfer treasury edition <laughs> i don't think i've opened that since i last opened it and i nearly like basically got high off of it <laughs> you, you gotta let yeah. that one air out <laughs> yeah Put it on, put it on some, uh, on some clothes pegs outside. Um, so I'm looking. When does seeds come out in the trade paperback? Because the, I, if you if you go to David um, Arge's, if you go to his Twitter, um, I I believe he's tweeting daily that it actually comes out on the uh, on Christmas Day. Um, from what from from what I remember, uh, I believe it's Christmas Day. No, it's not Christmas Day. It must be Christmas uh, a couple of days before Christmas Eve, twenty third maybe. Okay. I just remember that it's very close to Christmas and uh, he's very excited about it being released. And I can't wait for that book to be released because. And he says it I'm... smells good. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> that, that was, he said it smells good. So I'm like, now I'm even more interested. <laughs> I'm not going to need like a drugs test on the way into work or something yeah. driving my car, am I? It's like. <laughs> uh, but I, unfortunately, I have nothing to add on reading recommendations, by the way. Um, nothing of worth anyway. <laughs> so I think that brings us basically to the end of another episode. Um, as we keep saying, please do get in contact with us. Ask us any random questions you you have. Um, don't forget you send us a question. Then we'll put your name into a to a hat, and um, you get the chance to win some cool swag. Um, because uh, Lynn manages to collect the weirdest inhuman swag. <laughs> And uh, yeah, we've got we got some we can give away, but um, yeah, just send us some send us some stuff. Our Twitter is at atalanrising one, and our email address is the show atalanrising dot com. And uh, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next episode. <laughs>